Our passage for today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. If you would please turn with me there. 1 Thessalonians is um, after Colossians. First Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. There's nothing more scary as the preacher than having to walk up here and having no idea where your Bible is, and then looking up um, here at the stand, and oh, there it is. And so we're good now. Um, everything's great. So it's good to see everybody uh, this morning, and we are in the middle of a sermon series that we started at the very beginning of the year, just looking at the vision and values of our church. And so if you've been with us for any length of time, um, you know that this isn't our, our normal pattern, our, our normal rhythm on Sunday mornings. Um, our normal pattern is to pick a book of the Bible and to preach consecutively, verse by verse, uh, through that particular book. We got done with Luke a while back. Uh, that took a little bit. And so so we began a new year. Felt like we needed to do something just a little bit different as we started the new year. It'd be a good time to just kind of reset together as a church to remind ourselves just of who we are, why we're here, why we exist as a church, what we're all about as a church, where we're headed in the year ahead as a church. And so we felt like it'd be good to kind of take a pause of our normal expositional preaching through books of the Bible and instead to just spend some time focusing on this sermon series that we've called the vision and values of our church. And so the way that we've been doing that is that we've been looking at what we call the vision, mission, and goal of our church. And you can see that if you don't already have that memorized at the very bottom of your handout there, that Cross Fellowship Church exists to glorify God. So that's our vision. Talked about that a number of weeks ago. By making disciples. That's our, our mission. Talked about that a few weeks ago. Of all nations. And so we talked about that a couple of weeks ago as well. And so then over the next few weeks, what we've begun to do then is to begin to look at our, our values. And what we mean by that is, is that these are the core values that undergird and shape and fuel this vision, mission, and goal. In other words, the, these are the core values. They're, they're the things that, are, that, that, that we prioritize they're, they're the things that we have to make a priority, that we have to devote ourselves to as a church, that we have to champion together as a church if we have any hope to see this vision, mission, and goal fleshed out, lived out, accomplished within, within the life of our church. And so then last week, we began to look at these core values, and we saw what the very first one was, and Josh alluded to it. Earlier, The first value, core value that we looked at last week was, was desperate prayer. That if we have any hope whatsoever, and just think about this, right? This, this small little church here has any hope of seeing God glorified 
disciples made of all nations, so locally, globally, if, if we have any hope of seeing that happen, then we have to pray. Like we have to devote ourselves to prayer, not just praying individually. We have to pray like together. That we have to be dependent upon and desperate for the supernatural power of God to accomplish in us and through us what we can't accomplish in and through us in and of ourselves. Like us glorifying God, us proclaiming the gospel, seeing people baptized, teaching them to follow Jesus, us impacting this city locally with the gospel, impacting the nations globally with the gospel. Like just look around you. Just look at me. Look at the leaders you've been given. Like who are we to do any of that? We can't do that. So we must be desperate for prayer. So that's the first core value we looked at last week. This morning then, we're going to look at the second core value that undergirds this vision, mission, and goal. And the second core value is what I'll just call meaningful membership. And if you hear that, if you've been here for any length of time, especially if you've been a member for any length of time, you're probably like, oh, here we go again. I know you've heard about this a lot. I know we've preached more than one sermon on this a lot. I know you've heard this in the membership class a lot. I know this is a common theme and a common thread that you hear in so much of what we do in the life of our church. But there's a reason for that. And one of the reasons for that is because we believe that that this is important in the Bible that it's a, it's a truth, it's a, it's a value that the Bible champions, it's a value that the Bible prioritizes. But not only that, a second reason that we make a big deal about meaningful membership is because we really do believe that within the contemporary church culture in which we live, membership in a church means pretty much nothing. That it's been completely emptied of any meaning in and of itself and has been completely watered down when it comes to what it means to be a member of a church. The reality is that there are more expectations for a, meaning, for a, for a member of Sam's or Costco than there is for a member of, of most churches. That membership in most churches means no responsibility, no accountability, no expectations. Just having your name on a spreadsheet stored away on a computer somewhere showing that you attend and are a member of that church. And so our desire then, because we see the great value that the Bible places on membership in the life of, our ch- of a church, our desire then is, is to elevate and to esteem and to showcase and to remind us of the great value that the Bible places on membership in the life of, of a local church and to try and help us to prioritize that and to try and help us to see the significance and the, and the importance of, me, of membership in a local church and particularly membership within our particular local church. And so then that's, that's my desire this morning. What I want to do this morning is, is really a couple different things. One would be this, is to, to help us see just the serious weight and the biblical understanding of what membership is all about. And then secondly, to, un- to, to answer this question, 
Okay, if, if that's what membership is, then how does that affect the way that we as members within this particular local church relate with the other members in this particular local church? So here's what membership is and the serious weight of membership. And then secondly, here's, here's what it means. Here's what it looks like then. Here's, here's, here's how the reality of what membership is then should practically affect our relationships with one another as members together of the same local church body. So the way we're going to begin is, is this. See this on the very top of your handout there. We're going to begin with three biblical truths, that these three biblical truths are going to serve as a, as a starting point when it comes to our understanding of what membership is. So three biblical truths. First one is this. See this at the top of your handout. Biblical truth number one. Every Christian is to be under the watchful care and loving oversight of the elders or pastors of a particular local church. And so then we see this truth repeated over and over again all throughout Scripture. We don't have time to look at all of them, but, but Ashley read the very first, very first passage I want us to look at in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Look there again with me. Paul's writing. He tells the church at Thessalonica, he exhorts them in this way. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Within the context here, it's referring to the elders, pastors, particular local church there in Thessalonica. You don't have to turn there, but just write down Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 on your handout there. The author of Hebrews, he issues the same sort of exhortation. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will have to give an account. Those are just two particular passages. You can look at 1 Peter 5, you can look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and some other passages of Scripture. But the point I want us to see is this. It's that the Bible expects every Christian to, to willingly place themselves under the loving care and watchful oversight of the elders of a particular local church. In other words, another way to say it is this. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever find a Christian who is outside of the oversight and the watchful care of the elders of a particular local church. You'll never find a Christian just out there rogue, free-floating on their own, outside of the elders' watchful care and oversight of a particular local church. Second truth then we need to understand when it comes to helping us to understand membership would be this. Biblical truth number two. The elders of each particular local church then will be held accountable before God for how well they watched over the souls of the particular Christians that God has entrusted to their care. So biblical truth number two is the flip side of what we saw in biblical truth number one. And there's two really important points I want us to see here when it comes to the second biblical truth. The first point I want us to see, and I, it's really I, I mentioned it here at the very, very end there, but it, it's that God has entrusted particular Christians to the elders of particular local churches. And the key word there is entrusted. God has entrusted particular Christians to the elders in particular local churches. Turn real quick to 1 Peter chapter 5. So turn to the right. 
of 1 Thessalonians, right after Hebrews and James, 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter's writing to the elders of particular local churches, and he starts in verse 1, but look at verse 2. He exhorts them to do the following. He says in verse 2 of 1 Peter 5, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So the words I want you to see here, you might want to underline them or circle them in the Bible. It's there in verse 3. It's the, it's the words that the ESV translated, translates it as those in your charge, not domineering over those in your charge. That could, those words, those in your charge, could literally be translated as those appointed to you, those allotted to you, those assigned to you. So the picture you have here is that God has divinely appointed, divinely allotted particular Christians to the elders of particular local churches that the elders of those particular local churches are to watch over and to oversee. But, but that's not the end of it. In, instead, the Bible says that the elders who have been allotted and appointed and assigned and entrusted with those particular Christians, that those elders then are going to be held accountable before God for how well they watched over the souls of those particular Christians that God has appointed and allotted to them to watch over. And that's, that's, I read this verse earlier, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. You don't have to turn there, but again, author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul. Now listen to this. As those who will have to give an account. That might not keep you up at night, but there's five men in this room who lay awake at night thinking about that verse, knowing that we are going to be held accountable for how well we have watched over the souls of the particular Christians that God has assigned to us and appointed to us, that he has entrusted to our oversight and to our care. Which then leads to the third important truth, that helps us to understand this whole idea of membership. And that third important truth is this. It's that Christians in each particular local church are mutually accountable to and responsible for one another's spiritual well-being. In other words, when you flip through the New Testament, it, it doesn't take very long for us to figure out that, that the church is more than just a gathering where you go once a week in order to get inspired in your own individual, private, personal relationship with Jesus. Instead, when you flip throughout the New Testament, what you find is that the church, it's a people you belong to. It's a people you're responsible for. It's a people that you're accountable to. It's a, it's a people that you're to watch over and watch out for one another, spiritual growth and, and spiritual well-being. There's, there's, a, there's a commitment, there's an accountability, there's a responsibility that exists 
among the people within the church. Listen to some of these verses. You can just jot these down for the sake of time, but that talk about the mutual responsibility and the mutual accountability that members together of the same particular local church have for one another. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 and 16 says this. It says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Again, this is what Ashley read earlier. Paul writes, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, and that, that, what he's, that saying there, you who are spiritual, specifically within the context there, it refers to you who are indwelt by the Spirit, you who have the Spirit, meaning all Christians, right? You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What's interesting about those three specific verses I just read, and there's a lot more that talk about the accountability and responsibility we as members in the same local church have for one another. But the reason I mention these is what I want you to see is that none of these verses are addressed to the elders of the church. None of them. Instead, all of these verses are addressed to the members of the church. And what that means is, it means that the everyday, ordinary members of the church are the ones who are responsible to watch out for one another, to watch over one another, to take responsibility for each other's spiritual growth, to take responsibility for each other's spiritual well-being, to, to hold one another accountable. It's not just the job of the elders. It's the job of every single Christian within that particular local church body. So much so that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in Matthew 18, that the members are so, that the, the responsibility and the accountability that members in, in the same particular local church have for one another is so great that they even have the responsibility and the authority to remove a member who remains in inconsistent, unrepentant sin. That's a responsibility and accountability that members of the same local church have toward one another, that members of that same local church don't have with Christians in other churches. Only Christians can, can remove other Christians who are in consistent, unrepentant sin who are members together of their same local church. What that means then is that the responsibility and the accountability that members have of the same particular local church is greater and weightier than the responsibility and the accountability that, that, that Christians have with just Christians in general. So here's the main truth I want us to see in all of this stuff. Again, nowhere in the Bible... Do you ever see just a free-floating, lone ranger, independent, autonomous Christian that's just out there floating on their, on their own? 
Instead, God has designed it where every Christian is living in two accountable relationships within a particular local church. Every Christian is to be under the watchful care and loving oversight of the elders of a particular local church, and every Christian is to be living in mutually accountable relationships with fellow members of that same particular local church. And the point I want us to see is, is this. I, I know we live in a day and age where I'm just spewing a, a bunch of nonsense, right? That I'm saying words that are greatly offensive in the culture in which we live. Accountability, responsibility, oversight. Those words are like naughty words today. Those words are like curse words today. Those words will, will get people in trouble today. And so I know just even starting off a sermon, even bringing things like, up, things like this up or could be greatly, greatly offensive. At the same time, here's what I want you to see when it comes to all of this accountability and responsibility and oversight talk. This isn't just God's design for Christians. This is God's grace for Christians. In other words, like, left to yourself, you're going to be a mess. Left to myself, self, I'm going to be a mess. Like, left to ourselves, we're prone to wander. Left to ourselves, we're, we're going to begin to believe things that aren't true. Left to ourselves, we're going to be, begin to dabble in sin that we shouldn't be dabbling in. Left to ourselves, we're going to, we're going to just be all over the place spiritually. Like we desperately need people, others, that God has is, God is designed to like watch out for us. We desperately need others to watch over us. We desperately need others to like be taking responsibility for us and holding us accountable. Like left ourselves, we're going to make a spiritual wreck of our lives. And so God, God, God knows that. He knows our sin nature. He knows our spiritually depraved hearts. He doesn't say, just, just have at it. Instead, he's designed local churches to oversee us and watch out for us so we don't commit spiritual suicide as we seek to walk with Christ and just completely unravel when it comes to our faith and our walk with, with Christ. This isn't just God's design. Accountability, responsibility, oversight. This is God's grace toward you and toward me as, as well. So here, here's the main point of all this that I want you to see. Church membership then is the formal application of these three biblical truths. That's what church membership is. It's the formal application of these three biblical truths we just looked at. In other words, let me unpack that real quick. You can see this on your hand. Membership is a formal way in which a Christian voluntarily places himself or herself under the watchful care and loving oversight of the elders of a particular local church. In other words, this is the application of the first truth we just looked at. So when you join a church, what you're saying to the elders of that particular local church is, 
I am placing myself under your watchful care and humble oversight. You, what you're saying to those elders, I want you guys to be accountable for watching over my soul. What you're saying is, I'm making myself accountable to you. That's, that's what's happening when you become a member of a local church. But that's not all. Secondly, membership is also a formal way in which the elders of a particular local church identify and clarify which particular Christians they're responsible to watch over. So again, this is the second, this application, the second truth we looked at just a minute ago. So when you join a church, what the elders then are saying to you is, we take responsibility to watch over you and shepherd you. We, we commit to watch over your soul. We commit to being held accountable for God for watching over you. That's what the elders are communicating to you when you join a church. And then finally, membership is a formal way in which a Christian enters into mutually accountable relationships with the Christians of a particular local church. So in other words, when you, when you join a church, the members of that particular local church that you're joining, they're saying, we're taking responsibility for you. We're taking responsibility to watch over your, your spiritual well-being and, and your spiritual good. And you're saying, I'm making myself accountable to you. At the same time, you're saying to the members of that particular local church, I'm taking responsibility for you. I'm taking responsibility for your spiritual growth and spiritual well-being. And they're saying back to you, we're making ourselves accountable to you. So then do you see then how formal church membership is the application then of, of those three biblical truths and why it's needed, especially in today's contemporary church culture in which you have a church literally on almost every corner. That formal church membership helps to identify and clarify who's responsible for and who's accountable to whom. And it, it helps to identify and clarify what, what, what elders every Christian is under, which particular Christians, which particular Christians elders are accountable for, and which Christians are ultimately accountable to and responsible for whom. So, here's, the, here's what I want us to conclude with in the rest of our time together. That, that's, that's, that's the serious weight that the Bible places on, on membership. That's, that's the meaning of membership. It's, it's mutual accountability. And, and the weight that the Bible places on that. And our membership is an application, a formal application of that. The question I want us to finish with during the rest of our time together then is this. If this is what membership means, if membership means elders watching over the souls of the members of the, their particular local church, if it means the members of that body placing themselves under the humble care and watchful oversight of the elders of that particular local church, if it means the members taking responsibility for each other's spiritual growth and spiritual well-being, making themselves accountable to one another and watching over each other, if that's what membership means, then how should the reality of those truths then practically impact 
and affect how we relate together as members of Cross Fellowship Church? How does this practically affect our relationships with one another and how we relate together as members together of Cross Fellowship Church? Well, let me finish together. Let me finish our time together by mentioning 10 ways. And we're going to have to move super quick um, to be able to get through all of these. The first way is this, is that as elders, we should provide meaningful pastoral oversight to the members of our church. Like if we're going to be held accountable for God for how well we watched over the souls of each member of our church, then it's imperative that we provide meaningful pastoral oversight to the members of our church. So there's a lot of different ways in which we as elders try and do this, and there's a lot of ways that we as elders can even do this a whole lot better than the way that we're doing it now. But one of the ways in which we as elders try and accomplish this and try and do this is through what we call and refer to as our member care list. So what that means is that every meet as elders in our elder meetings every other Tuesday morning, and on Tuesday morning, we go through what we call our member care list. And as we go through this member care list, we what that basically involves, it involves going through the membership directory of our church and asking six questions. And here's what those six questions are. Number one, are there any members facing difficult circumstances or hardships that need additional care and support? Number two, are there any members who need to be further discipled? Number three, are there any members that have been missing from church and that we haven't seen for a while? Number four, are there any members disconnected or on the fringe? Number five, are there any members in sin that we need to humbly confront and seek to restore? Or are there any members that need additional help in fighting against a particular sin issue in their life? Number six, are there any members that we aren't for sure about that we need to reach out to or that we need to check up on? And so then we, after we ask these questions, we seek to answer these questions, we pray for any individuals that, that we mention, and then we split them up among the five elders to be able to reach out to them and, and seek to um, contact them if they fell into one of these, these categories. And so definitely this isn't a perfect system. There are ways that we are not perfect elders either and ways that we need to continue to grow. But this is one of the ways in which we seek to intentionally and deliberately provide meaningful pastoral oversight uh, to the members that God has entrusted to our care. Second way, then, these biblical truths should affect our relationships with one another's members together of the same local church is this. We should attend our Sunday morning worship gathering and come ready to serve and invest in the lives of others. So just think about that for a minute, right? If, if, these, if we're really responsible for one another, if we're, if we're really, as members together of the same local church, responsible for each other's spiritual growth, spiritual well-being, then that should like radically affect how we think about Sunday morning church. And not only that, it should radically affect how we walk in here each week and, and radically affect what we do during our time together. It should even radically affect like what time we, we get here on Sunday morning, what time we leave here on Sunday morning. And so just think about that, right? If we're mutually accountable to one another and responsible for one another, then like you kind of need to be here. like consistently, regularly, 
And not just because like you have to be here, but because others need you to be here. You're responsible for them. This, do I, do I feel like coming to church on Sunday? That's not the question. The question is, do others need me to be here? They need you to be here. You're responsible for them. Do you go to bed on Saturday night feeling the weight of responsibility for the members of our church? And so when you feel that and you, you know that, then you don't show up on Sunday morning as a consumer or as a spectator hoping to just be inspired in your individual personal walk with Christ on a Sunday morning. Instead, you, you come with your eyes open looking for how you can encourage people and invest in people and get to know people. You don't just have a little clique of friends that that's who you, ever, who you always sit by and who you always talk with and who you always know. And Instead, you're like, you show up, you come through those doors and you're like, hey, let's get to work. Responsible for all these people. How are they doing? Where are people at? And they look like they need to be encouraged. They look like they're down. They look like they, something's bothering them. They, they look like they're alone. They, nobody's talking with them. Nobody's sitting with them. I'll, I'll go see it. And we're taking, we're making ourselves responsible for, for one another. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a person who walks in here not, not focused on themselves, but focused on, on everyone else around them. And the reality of that, like that mind shift, it's going to change. It's going to change what time you get here on Sunday morning. It's going to change who you talk to on Sunday morning. It's going to change where you sit on Sunday morning. It's going to change what you do after the service is over on Sunday morning. It's going to change all of that. But only, all of that will only happen if those biblical truths that we looked at are, are really true. Number three, then, that these truths, third way, they should affect our relationships with one another as members the same church is, is this. We should pursue and invest in meaningful relationships with each other throughout the week. Like this, is, this just makes sense, right? If we're really responsible for one another, accountable to one another, then by golly, we got to be involved in each other's lives a lot more than just once a time on Sunday morning. Like we got to be involved in each other's lives throughout the week. We got to pursue one another, invest in one another, in meaningful relationships with one another throughout the week if we're really responsible for and accountable to one, one another. And obviously, the, the easiest way and the most important way that you can do this is by being committed to and investing in one of our small groups, a, a discipleship community. Those are, those are the easiest way, the primary way that we take responsibility for, make ourselves accountable to one another within the life of our church, but at the same time, it's so much more than just that. It's organic, relational, personal, just pursuing relationships with each other just throughout the week. Calling people, texting people, just inviting people into your home for dinner and lunch and breakfast and for watching sports and playing games. And it's involved grabbing breakfast with guys before 
work and using lunches to meet up with other members of our church and inviting people over for dinner somewhere and grabbing dinner together involves just doing your normal everyday life and just inviting somebody to do it with you, folding laundry, doing dishes, driving to Walmart. I don't know, you know, I mean, just do what you normally do and just invite another member along with you. But pursuing meaningful, intentional relationships together. Fourth, then, if we're why these truths should affect our relationships with each other. We should live open and honest lives with each other. Like if we're really responsible for and accountable to one another, what that means then is that we have to know and be known by each other. It means we can't keep each other at arm's length. We can't hide from each other. It means that we're really known by one another. We truly know each other. I just think about that, right? It's impossible to encourage somebody, to help somebody, to support somebody that you don't know and that doesn't want to be known. And so if we truly want to support one another and help one another, come alongside one another, be a blessing to one another, be responsible for one another's spiritual well-being, we all have to live open and honest lives with each other so we can know how to help and encourage and come alongside and support and spur on. Next then, we should guard and protect each other from sin. In other words, if if we're mutually accountable to and responsible for one another, then if somebody's missing from church, we need to reach out to them. That's just not the job of the, the elders. If somebody's missing from your small group, from your discipleship community, you need to reach out to them. That's just not the job and the responsibility of your DC leader. If somebody is involved in sin, then you need to humbly and lovingly pursue them and correct them and rebuke them and help them and come alongside of them. If somebody is in a persistent pattern of sin that they're struggling with, you need to figure out a way to come alongside of them and help them and encourage them to fight and pursue holiness. Next then, these truths should cause us to to pray for each other, to pray for each other. What I'm about to say, like I Probably you guys can fill in the blank here in terms of what the application is here. What I'm probably, what I'm about to say here, I don't think should be a surprise to to any of you. But as members together of the same local church, we all need to be praying through the membership directory. Is that the first time you've ever heard that? Right? That's why we have this membership directory. It's not so we can have each other's phone numbers and addresses and email addresses. But it's, it's, it's basically, it's a membership directory, but it's also a prayer guide. And so our encouragement is to take one page a day and just pray for the names of those people on that page. If you do that every day out of the month, you'll get through our entire church in a month. And then you can start over for the next month. But as you're doing that, just shoot that person a text or call that person, shoot that person an email and say, hey, 
it's Tuesday, I'm praying for you today. So I'm praying through the membership director. Is there any specific ways I can be praying for you? And as that's going on all throughout the life of our church, I've, some guy told me one time, well, if that's going on all throughout the life of our church, I'm not, never going to get anything done. All I'm going to be doing is replying to text messages and emails about how people can be praying for me. I'm like, well, that would be awesome. You know, let's, I'd love for that to be the problem, you know, but, but pray through the membership director. If we're, think about that. If we're responsible for one another, for spiritual growth and well-being, we got, how can we be responsible and not pray for each other? So that's one practical way you can do that. <clears throat> Next then, we should disciple and spur each other on in following Jesus. <clears throat> disciple and spur each other on in following <clears throat> Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> in other words, <clears throat> I've been sick all week. It's all coming out right now. Um, if there's another member of our church who, who needs to be discipled, who just needs another Christian just to spend time with them, to read a Christian book together, to do a Bible study together, to just some, have somebody that they can gather together and share life with and to pray with, to memorize verses together, just to get counsel from, just to do life together and to encourage one another and spur each other on in Christ along the way. If, if, if that person exists in the life of our church, then as, as members, we're, we're responsible to come alongside and to spend time with them, to spur them on and to disciple them. And so as members together, look around. Who, who might that person be? Who might that person be that you can reach out to and pursue and begin to spend more regular time with, just helping each other follow Jesus, discipling, encourage, spurring one another on, and becoming more like Christ. Eighth way then, we're almost done, <clears throat> is this. We should serve and care for each other. And this makes sense, right? We're not just responsible when it comes to each other's spiritual well-being. We're responsible when it comes to each other's physical well-being as well. And so if there's needs, legitimate needs, the members together of our church, the members of our church have, we need to do everything we possibly can to serve that need and meet that need and care for that need within within our body. And so obviously this can happen organically just in terms of our relationships with one another, looking for ways to serve and care for one another. But another more formal way that this happens is by serving on one of our ministry teams within the life of our church. And we, we ask this of every member of our church to serve on at least one f organized ministry team in the life of our church. Like we're not very big but we've got a number of ministry teams that are serving within the context of our church. And that means then if every member isn't serving on one of these formal ministry teams, then that means that there's others who are, who are, are having to serve on a bunch of them and, and because of that are just feeling the weight and the burden of, of all of that. And so it's imperative that every single member is serving on at least one ministry team in the life of our church. The children's ministry team, huge, always has huge, many needs when it comes to that. And so that's, if you want to, interested in that, talk, talk to Jared about all this. He'll get you all plugged in to all of these things. we we'll talk to him about that. Second one is the same people have been setting up all of this stuff for the last seven years. 
the same people, and they're dead dog tired. And if there's anyone who would be willing and able to get up early on Sunday morning and be here at 8 o'clock to help people who've been setting up for the last seven years every single week, I think they would really appreciate it. I'm talking to some of you guys out there. Okay, uh, ninth, ninth way would be, would be this. We should attend and participate in our members' meetings. Attend and participate in our members' meetings. In other words, as you know, our members' meetings, that's the context in which we vote to affirm new members and release members from the life of our church. In other words, it's the context in which with that vote, what the elders are saying is, we're taking responsibility for this new member and what the current members are saying with their vote to affirm these new members, the current members are saying, we're taking responsibility for you. We're, we're making ourselves accountable to you. And so what that means then, it's kind of like a, a marriage to some degree, like vows being taken and, and all that stuff. And like, you kind of need to show up to your, to your wedding, right? And so kind of need to show up to, to members' meetings because that's the context in which these commitments are, are verbally being voted on and verbally being made. Last but not least, and finally and most importantly, would be this. We should remember the glory of the gospel and our corporate identity. I know after going through a long sermon like this, and seeing 10 ways that these biblical truths should affect our relationships with one another. I know that sitting there right now, you can feel just like this huge burden or just this huge chore on your shoulders or this legalistic to-do list of all these things that, okay, now i got to figure out a way to cram this in my schedule, cram this in my schedule. i got to figure out a way to pull up my bootstraps and, and start doing this and start doing that. And, and, and if you're not careful then, that, that you can be motivated to do all of these things just to appease the preacher or to do, be motivated to do all of these things by guilt and not by pure love and and. For, for people, and if we're not careful, that's, that's where everybody in this room is, is sitting and, and reflecting upon and, and feeling right, right now. So if, if that's you, if that's, if that's what you feel right now and the weight and the burden that you feel on your shoulders right now, then please hear this. It's that the ultimate motivation and the ultimate power for living as a meaningful member in the life of our church in all these different ways that we've just looked at, the ultimate motivation and the ultimate power for doing all of those things, it isn't found in and of yourself. There is nothing in and of yourself that is going to compel you to ultimately live this way and do this for the lives of the other members within the life of our church. You can fake it for a week. You can, you can by sheer grit and willpower, maybe do it for a few weeks. But for the long haul, guilt and, and a legalistic to-do list and simply doing something to appease a pastor isn't going to be a sustainable enough motivation to continue 
to do this week in and week out in the lives of the members in the life of our church. Instead, the ultimate motivation and the ultimate power for living as a meaningful member in all these different ways that we've just looked at. It's not found in in guilt. It's not found in legalistic to-do list. Instead, it's found in remembering the truths and the realities and the promises of the gospel and by remembering our new corporate identity in Christ. In other words, just think about this. Like we, as Christians, we, we were once dead and lost in our sin. And when we were dead and lost in our sin, Jesus did ignore us. Jesus didn't turn a blind eye to us. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't say, oh, that, that's too much trouble for me to get, to, to get involved in. Jesus didn't say, oh, I, I don't have time for that. Instead, when we were lost in our sin, Jesus willingly and graciously looked at us and he willingly and graciously took responsibility for us. He took so much responsibility for us that he pursued us. And he pursued us, and he took our sin upon himself in our place, and he was crushed, and he was judged by the wrath of God upon himself in our place, uh, taking that upon himself for all the sins that you and I have ever committed. And so that through faith and trust in Jesus, what that means then is that we were rescued and saved from the judgment that we deserve for our sins, and that instead Jesus gave his righteousness to us in our place. What that means then is now as those who've been watched over so well, as those who've been shepherded so well, as those who've been, who Jesus took responsibility for, as those he has known, pursued, and as those who he has gotten involved in the messiness of our lives, then how in the world, as the gracious, loving recipients of Jesus' pursuit of us, how can we not do the same for fellow members together in the life of our church? That as those who have been saved by the gospel, our relationships with one another should also be marked by the gospel. That we were saved by, by a Savior who watched over us and took responsibility for us and pursued us. And so then how can we not take responsibility and pursue one another just like he has taken responsibility and pursued us? It's in this way then we're not motivated by guilt we're not motivated by a legalistic to-do list. We're not motivated by a willingness to prove ourselves. But instead, as we think about living as a meaningful member in all of these different ways, what ultimately motivates us is that that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. And that's therefore what we want to do for one another. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for reminding us of the serious significance and the serious weight that you place on membership in the life of a particular local church. Lord, I pray that as we reflect upon our relationships with one another as fellow members, Lord, that you would help us to see just the serious responsibility and commitment that we have for one another. 
Lord, that you would help free us from this private, individual, autonomous, me, myself, and I sort of Christian life. And you would help us to see the family that you have placed us in, the brothers and sisters in Christ that you have united us together with. And you would give us hearts, hearts of Jesus that intentionally pursue, that intentionally take responsibility for and commit ourselves to one another in these ways that we've talked about together this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? And as you do, we're going to conclude our time together this morning by celebrating the Lord's Supper. That the Lord's Supper, as you know, it's a, it's a family meal. It's a meal that we gather together and celebrate together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Bible uses this imagery of family on purpose, that this imagery of brothers and sisters on, on purpose. I've shared this before, but the greatest, most meaningful relationship, the most intimate relationship in the first century world was the relationship of, between siblings. It had the deepest bond, the deepest commitment, the deepest love relationship in that world was the sibling relationship. And that's why then all throughout the New Testament, the New Testament writers are referring to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ to communicate the depth and the union and the love and intimacy of the relationship that we as fellow members together of the same local church have in our relationships with one another. And that is our new identity in Christ then. That is what Jesus has done for us through his substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection. He has not only saved us individually, but he has united us together. He has changed our identity when it comes to our relationships with each other. It's not just Josh over here, Mallory over there, Nate over there, Caleb over here, Marianne over there, but it's our brothers, it's our, it's our sisters who we are committed to and take responsibility for and make ourselves accountable to one another. And that's what we remember as we come and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We grab a piece of bread, we grab a cup, we make our way back to our seat and as we're holding those together. We remember this isn't just the price that Jesus paid for my salvation. This is the price that Jesus paid to make us family. And we celebrate and we rejoice in that new identity in Christ. But maybe you're here this morning and you aren't a Christian. We're glad that you're here. We pray that you'll continue to come back week after week after week. I fully realize much of what I talked about this morning is probably foreign to you. Some of it might have been even offensive to you in some ways. And some of it is probably just crazy in other respects. But at the same time, I do want you to know all that Jesus has done for us through his work on the cross, who he has made us to be now. I want you to know the reason that lies behind how we relate with one another and how we treat one another as a church. 
why we take time for one another, why we pursue one another, why we love each other, why we serve one another, why we pray for each other, why we do all of these things, why our relationships with one another within this local church look different from most relationships that are out there. It's not because we're good people. It's not because we're good loving people. It's not because of any other reason other than Jesus. He's transformed our hearts. He's given us new hearts. He's given us a new identity. And so we're simply seeking to live out that new identity in our relationships with others. So if you're here this morning, you aren't a Christian, then my appeal to you this morning would be to trust and place your faith in Jesus as your substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, as your only hope for being rescued from the just judgment that you deserve for your sins. And when you do that, then you can be part of this corporate new identity and this family, just like all of us are this morning as well. So we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. We're going to remember the new identity we have in Christ. And we're going to have a family meal together, reminding ourselves not only of Jesus's commitment to us, but our commitment to one another as fellow members together of this local church body. You don't have to be a member to celebrate this meal with us, but we do ask that you're a Christian. You're a part of the, the family of God at large. If that's you this morning, we gladly invite you to come and celebrate with us.